Hello, we're Equinor. As a global energy leader, we're working hard to reduce methane emissions and our carbon footprint. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, January 14th. In today's news, Iran announces arrests in the downing of that passenger plane. Elizabeth Warren claims Bernie Sanders told her a woman can't get elected president. He says she's lying. And President Trump is secretly planning to divert an additional $7.2 billion in Pentagon funds for his border wall. But first, the big idea. Russian military spies have hacked the Ukrainian gas company that is at the heart of the impeachment trial of Trump. The president sought last year to pressure Ukraine to investigate the company, Burisma, and its links to Joe Biden's son, Hunter, who sat on the board. Beginning in early November, the Russian spy agency known as the GRU launched a cyber phishing campaign against Burisma to trick unsuspecting employees into giving up their email credentials so the hackers could gain access to the email accounts of the company, once again entangling the Kremlin in domestic U.S. politics. This was uncovered by Area One Security, a cybersecurity firm in Redwood City, California. The operation's launch coincided with the congressional impeachment inquiry into whether Trump abused his office by pushing Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky into announcing a probe of Burisma and Hunter Biden in order to help his 2020 re-election. The GRU, which is an arm of Russian military intelligence, was active during the 2016 presidential campaign, hacking the servers of the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman and releasing their emails that summer and fall. Trump continues to publicly downplay the conclusions of U.S. intelligence agencies that Russia was behind the hacks, and he suggested that it was actually Ukraine that interfered in the 2016 election. He and his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, have promoted the unfounded conspiracy theory that Joe Biden, as vice president, tried to quash a corruption investigation of Burisma to protect his son. It's unclear what material the GRU gained access to when it was inside the Burisma servers, and if any of that will be released. But now an American adversary could drop this information at a time and place of its choosing. And if or when they do, how will we know if it's real and not more disinformation? Area One also discovered evidence that the GRU targeted a media organization that was founded by Zelensky. In other impeachment news, top Senate Republicans yesterday rejected Trump's new call for outright dismissal of the charges against him but they continued to grapple with the shape of the Senate trial that could begin as soon as this week. Senior Republicans said immediate dismissal couldn't win the votes for approval in the chamber, where Republicans hold a 53-seat majority. And even some staunch Trump allies argued that the president's legacy would benefit from a robust trial. Republicans were maneuvering behind the scenes about the vexing issue of witnesses, as former National Security Advisor John Bolton continues to say that he would be willing to testify if he receives a Senate subpoena. Another wild card to keep an eye on, Lev Parnas, one of Giuliani's indicted associates, has turned over thousands of pages of documents to impeachment investigators. Joseph Bondi, Parnas's attorney, traveled this weekend from New York to D.C. to hand-deliver the contents of an iPhone 11 to House Democratic staffers. Parnas has also provided investigators with documents, recordings, photos, text messages on WhatsApp, and materials from a Samsung phone. Among the messages that Parnas's lawyer has turned over to the committee are exchanges that he had not just with Giuliani, 
but also former Texas Congressman Pete Sessions, current Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and a columnist at The Hill named John Solomon. Giuliani, Parnas, Sessions, and Solomon were all involved in the plot to get Trump to recall Marie Yovanovitch as the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, European countries today have triggered a dispute mechanism in the nuclear deal with Iran, citing Tehran's decision to gradually drop the limitations on its nuclear energy program. Iran said it will no longer comply with any restrictions on enriching uranium after Washington's targeted drone strike that killed Qassam Soleimani on January 3rd. In a new joint statement, Britain, France, and Germany say that they have sought to persuade Iran to change course and worked hard to address its concerns. However, given Iran's announcement, these European countries say they have been left with no choice given Iran's actions. Triggering this dispute mechanism paves the way for the return of potentially crippling United Nations sanctions on Iran. But the three countries said in their joint statement that they still remain committed to trying to preserve the deal and will not immediately join Washington's maximum pressure campaign. Meanwhile, in Tehran, the Iran government announced overnight that an unspecified number of arrests have been made stemming from the Ukrainian passenger plane that Tehran admits was mistakenly shot down last week. President Hassan Rouhani called for a special court to investigate the crash. Rouhani's televised address to the nation followed a third day of significant street protests against the regime. Videos posted on social media show hundreds of students gathered last night in a courtyard at Sharif University of Technology in Tehran, a wellspring of anger at the cleric-led government. The university said that 13 of its students and alumni were killed when the plane was shot down. There are also signs that the government forced onto the defensive, is pursuing a harsher crackdown on these demonstrations. Other videos on social media show demonstrators fleeing from tear gas, and in one case, a woman bleeding badly from her leg, a wound that protesters say was caused by live ammunition. Number two, the Democratic primary here in the States got a lot more nasty yesterday. Elizabeth Warren put out a statement last night saying that Bernie Sanders told her during a one-on-one -on -one dinner at her condo in D.C. last year, that a woman could not get elected president. Sanders says Warren is not telling the truth. He says it's ludicrous to believe that at the same meeting where Warren told him she was going to run for president, that he would tell her a woman couldn't win. Two people with knowledge of the conversation tell the Post that Warren brought up the issue by asking Sanders whether he believed a woman could win. One of the people with knowledge of the conversation says Sanders did not say a woman couldn't win, but rather that Trump would use nefarious tactics against the Democratic nominee, whether it's a man or a woman. The heated dispute played out in advance of a debate tonight in Des Moines that will air on CNN. The unpredictable impeachment schedule means that the senators who are running for president probably will only have a limited amount of time in Iowa in the three weeks running up to the February 3rd caucuses. It raises the stakes for tonight. One of the senators who was running for president, Cory Booker of New Jersey, dropped out of the race yesterday after he failed to qualify for the debate. It's not immediately clear, never is, how this gender dispute will play out among voters, especially in the unpredictable Hawkeye state where polls continue to show a fluid race. Since Clinton's 2016 loss to Trump, many voters have expressed a concern about the odds of another woman defeating him for re-election. Biden touched on the topic just a few days ago during a rally in Iowa when he noted that Clinton faced what he called unfair sexism during her campaign, but then he added, quote, that is not going to happen with me. A September Washington Post poll found that 23% of Democrats 
said a man would be more likely than a woman to defeat Trump in November. Number three, the Trump administration has secret plans to divert another $7.2 billion in Pentagon funds for Trump's border wall. That's five times what Congress has authorized the president to spend on the project in the 2020 budget. The Pentagon funds would be extracted for the second year in a row from construction projects that the Defense Department has publicly described as vital, as well as counter-narcotics funding. According to internal documents that were leaked to the Washington Post, the funding would give the government enough money to complete about 885 miles of new fencing by the spring of 2022, far more than the 500 miles that Trump has promised. The move would bring the total amount of federal funds that have been allocated for border fencing to $18.4 billion under Trump. The administration has so far completed 101 miles of new barriers. Meanwhile, the U.S. government has started putting asylum seekers at the southern border, people who are legally trying to enter the United States at legal points of entry, on airplanes to send them to Guatemala, often without telling them where they're going. When the migrants land in Guatemala City, they receive little information about what it means to apply for asylum in one of the hem hemisphere's poorest countries. Those who don't immediately apply are then told they have to leave Guatemala within 72 hours. And this past Friday, Texas became the first state in the union to take up Trump's recent offer to let governors seal off their borders to any new refugees. This is deeply upsetting to one Iraqi refugee who has resettled in the Lone Star State, which now wants to shut out people like her. Marwa Sabah is one of 57,000 refugees who've resettled in Texas over the past decade, of whom about 12,000 are Iraqi. Like most refugees, she didn't want to leave behind nearly everyone and everything she ever knew, but facing death threats for working with the Americans, she and her husband felt they had no choice. She told our columnist Catherine Rampell that when they requested refuge in the United States, they specifically asked to be resettled in Fort Worth because they'd heard great things about the good people of Texas. But Republican Governor Greg Abbott says there's not enough resources for the refugees, even though people like Sabah and her husband quickly became self-sufficient. And they are gainfully employed. Maybe Abbott would think differently if he got to know her. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, January 14th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. If you want to get more news about the impeachment process, you can subscribe to a podcast feed from The Washington Post with all our updates in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. Find it at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts.